Hello, and welcome to this week's edition of the Five Things Podcast. We hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving and is gearing up for the holiday season. If you need something to do while you enjoy this long December, why don't you give a listen to Gray Matter, a podcast about ideas from our friends here at Gray. If you have time, give it a listen. The first two seasons are available wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, this week, I've got some trusty sidekicks to talk about the five things. We have Amanda. Hello, Amanda. Hey, Kenny. And Juliana. Welcome Hi. back, Juliana. Hey, Juliana's here. It's exciting to be a part of it. Woo! <laughs> All right. We're going to talk about some really interesting stuff this week, and we're excited uh, to just dive in. So here we go. First, Twitter slowed down the rollout of fleets. Snapchat launched Spotlight. Instagram expanded guides to all users. TikTok added new photo sensitivity warnings. And finally, Twitter tested Spaces audio feature. So with that, let's dive in. So Twitter has slowed down the rollout of its disappearing message feature called Fleets. Why have they done it? Um, They were having some issues with stability and performance and many users wouldn't be getting them for a few more days. So users have raised concerns about privacy issues, saying that the feature actually encourages some form of harassment. And a Twitter spokesperson told Bloomberg News uh, last week that the company was working on some ways to fix the privacy issues. Very, very interesting. Very curious to hear what everyone's thinking about fleets. Uh, And and you know, I think there's, they've gotten a lot of flack over Twitter for this one because it feels like a ripoff. Um, but some very interesting things going on with fleets and they're slowing it down. So Amanda or Juliana, have you tried fleets? What do you think about this? Does this feel like a real concern? So I personally um, haven't fleeted, but uh, what thankfully uh, Twitter fleets kind of brought to my attention is I guess another app, the invite only app clubhouse that essentially had a very similar disappearing messaging function Um, so I think clubhouse got a lot of kind of splash publicity from this. Um, personally though, I know Twitter fleets, it did kind of, um, it came out with, with, with a lot of, uh, disruptions. And so I'm glad that they're pairing it back, but it'll be interesting to see in a sort of, uh, second cotillion, what will be improved. Yeah. I feel like, I know we talked about some of the initial issues that seem to have continued to grow. This is what happens when a lot of platforms try to do, you know, a race to the moon type approach to these functions rolling out. And it really does boil down to who's doing it the best, the most intuitively and the most natural to the platform. So I'm curious. I mean, it's disappointing. I'm curious if Twitter had maybe just waited a month until, you know, all the functionality was working and it had been tested and it, you know, was a a great piece of the platform to add if they wouldn't have avoided this little bit of a mess. But And the thing that's so confusing is, I mean, it's not like anyone was or, you know, speaking party of one here. Um, I wasn't chomping at the bit for a disappearing functionality in Twitter. So like you're saying, Amanda, you know, if it is a matter of kind of a um, yes, me also, Ing that we're seeing with a lot of apps, like just give yourself the time to make it the best version and the best for your brand, you know, especially if it's something that's going to be unexpected and kind of changing the way that people engage with you overall. 
Yeah, I'm curious to see what happens with this. There was a big trend on Twitter where you would actually delete tweets after you put them out. And then everyone was like, I wish there was a way for me to push out some things that had sort of a fleeting moment. I don't know if I buy it. Um, I'm curious to see if it's something they made such a big deal, though, and it's at the masthead of the actual app. So you never know uh, what's going to go on here. All right. Well, let's move to something slightly different here. Let's move on to Snapchat launching Spotlight. Is this our daily moment of let's celebrate Snapchat for being amazing? I think so. (laughs) Uh, But Juliana, tell us a little bit about that. Uh, that's actually, it's funny you say that, Kenny, because this, this kind of hurt my heart a little bit when I was reading it initially, but love to hear your guys' thoughts. Um, up top, Snapchat officially launches its in-app, uh, TikTok competitor called Spotlight. And so essentially, uh, Spotlight is this tab in Snapchat that'll allow users to, um, their, their generated videos, like up to 60 seconds. Uh, they'll be kind of housed and people will have the option to scroll through them very similarly to that you would TikTok and you're scrolling through people's viral, more meme-like uh, jokey videos versus the kind of more slice of life stuff that Snap usually promotes. And it really is kind of the most shot across the bow um, at TikTok um, and it's viral content that Snap has really taken. And what's most interesting about Spotlight is kind of to get it off the ground. Snap is offering a million dollars a day that'll be divvied up among the most popular Spotlight creators from now until the end of 2020. And on top of that, though, it's not just, you know, that being wild proposition in and of itself, but it's also very difficult to get popular with Spotlight. So in a world where influencers can kind of just drag their audiences with them and their brand with them wherever they go, with Spotlight, you know, the videos can't be watermarked, so you can't just repost like TikToks or Reels. Um, you know, there's no public comments, so you can't get engagement that way. Uh, even showing follower count is optional. So it really is just kind of about like, are you someone who can create good content that people will spend time fully watching versus sort of, oh, it's, you know, Addison Ray or, or Charlie D'Amelio. Um, nothing against them, of course, but, you know, it's not nearly as easy as just having that, that house number, uh, that house name. And so in reading this, I feel kind of like I'm watching someone who's been like killing it on the dance floor, trip over their own feet and stumble into the punch bowl, just because I loved the idea of Snap being this own, you know, quiet universe. And the fact that they're now essentially like paying people to come to its party is a little disappointing to me, um, you know, as far as a brand is concerned. But I do think that it's a very interesting uh, idea, especially when you take note of the fact that there are so many young people that young people uh, who want to be, you know, popular online for the basis of being able to make money off it. You know, you can make a brand off TikTok, you can make a brand off Instagram, YouTube, all of this, and it comes with uh, some some sort of monetary value. So Snap essentially just you know getting rid of the the um, the tiptoeing around it and saying straight up like, hey, if you're here and you're popular, here's some money. I think that's pretty interesting. I mean, this to me feels like less of a move that you would see from a social media platform and a little bit more of a move into kind of publishing and entertainment. I don't know. I'm trying to understand the use case of this function versus your typical Snapchat function. And to your point, Juliana, it's funny because pairing this back to people really just being good at creating content theoretically is what every platform should be. And I think this is the perfect way to to take all of the extra trimmings off of it, minus the kind of, you know, monetary exchange. But I mean, you know, I'm trying to zoom out and think long game. It, is there a world in which Snap, I mean, Snap does a great job with their Discover content. And, you know, you could spend hours it flip, like you're flipping through a TV channel for Gen Z, you know, 
And it just feels more like a content channel that's a little more finessed than necessarily a social platform move. No, I, but I'd love to hear kind of if you have any thoughts. I know you've been kind of holding the flame for Snap for a while based on how they've been acting. Do you, does this feel uh, in line with all their other moves or does this feel kind of uh, it, does, it does. You know, it's interesting. Snap positions itself as the best friend network and I love that. And I love that they create things that allow for a camera first world to succeed. I'm always very curious to see what happens when you bring top tier creatives to the channel to start to exercise on that a little bit. Um, This is a wait and see moment because I want to understand how these top tier creators are going to inspire some of that best friend behavior. How is, how does that change snaps mission? And is it something that they're abandoning? I don't know. Um, I think it's important for creators to be compensated for what they do. Um, and I think so much in the past has been, you know, taken away from the creators that this, this sort of approach is important. Um, so it's, I don't have an answer. I think it's really wait and see, but, uh, I'm, I'm happy to see them thinking about creator first worlds and not just relying on the ad network to drive that engagement, but have it really be about the creative, uh, the creative approach, which I think is nice. Yeah. And especially in this time where creatives are struggling so much, just with obviously the continued health crisis and forget the economic crisis, the ability to be able to just actually make money off of being smart and creative. Um, really interesting. Absolutely. Well, with that, let's talk about guides, Amanda, and how Instagram has expanded guides to all users. Oh boy, this one I'm really excited by actually. So this week, Instagram launched Guides, which um, is a feature that kind of allows anyone on the platform, it started in beta, it's now available to anyone on the platform, to create a tab on their profile to share tips and resources and content. Um, it Basically, you can create a little hub, um, city guide, for instance, travel or anything else. I think this is a really, really nicely created feature. It's really intuitive. If I were an influencer, I would create my guide around something because the plat- it's almost like a Shopify. You can pull in links from other Instagrams. You can tag small businesses. For instance, we're getting close to the holidays. You can create a gift guide and link out products specifically from this tab to the small business page. If you were to, if you're an influencer and you're making a travel guide, you can recommend local businesses through their Instagram page. It's actually really a beautiful format and the process of building it out is very simple. You don't have to be very tech savvy. So yes, this falls into Instagram's goals of getting people to spend more time on the app and shift into a marketplace setting of sorts. Um, But I, I do think I, I, I quite like this feature and I think it's a much more natural way for brands to show up um, in the space because it provides context. Like context is key on this platform. When you have a shopping tab, have all these products thrown at you, it gets, it, you have no reason, you're not compelled. There's no emotion. There's no journey. There's no experience. So creating this context coming from the creators of why they're working with a brand, why they're recommending a product, why they really value the things that they're talking about. It just makes it a much more compelling platform. I love this idea. I, I think especially, you know, sitting at home for the past couple months, scrolling on my phone, trying to go through people's highlight reels in order to find in between like, you know, pictures of Bora Bora, the thing that they were eating at Bora Bora to just have that kind of pulled apart. And like you were saying, to be able to create this like story 
um, with the guide, you know, showing it as all kind of one cohesive package versus it all being sort of scattershot. Like, I, I like the, uh, it kind of reflects just overall, you know, the sort of aesthetic component of IG and being able to have things exist in their own, you know, like pretty universe versus all just being kind of slapdash. It's also just for brands specifically and marketers, it's such a more natural way and a more transparent way to work with creators, to work with other partners on the platform. And the way that you're showing up, you know, as we continue understanding more about influencer marketing and the best ways to approach it, it's a more hands-on and kind of um, specialized way instead of, you know, a hashtag and a product placement and a shot. Yeah. And it actually shows that maybe the person uses the product versus, you know, posing with it once and never actually, never actually touching it. Guess I'll have to check out these guides next time on IG. Well, yeah. And I think guides are such an interesting development because I think it drives some of that wonder and FOMO, uh, but it actually makes it tangible, which is kind of nice. So it brings Instagram inspiration to people, which I kind of love. With that, Let's talk about TikTok and how they're adding new photo sensitivity warnings to their content. Um, I think that's a pretty interesting development. And uh, Juliana, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So um, as you were saying, you know, TikTok adds a new photo sensitivity warning to strobing clips. So they're adding uh, a warning to video clips that feature contrasting light and dark patterns, um, obviously that have the potential to trigger seizures in people with epilepsy. And TikTok uh, previously already had a warning that let creators know if their upload had an effect that could trigger those who are photosensitive. But now it's, you know, doing something that's more outward facing. Anyone who's scrolling past a potentially triggering video on their feed gets a warning before they open it. And users also have the option to uh, just turn off videos that have, uh, you know, any possible photosensitivity effects uh, in general so that they just don't show up in their feed at all. The, there's been a lot of conversation about accessibility on TikTok um, over the past couple of months, especially from the the deaf and hard of hearing community, just acknowledging the fact that, you know, with social media being, yes, of course, pervasive, but, you know, just something that everyone's on, the, the inability for people to engage in something that's kind of now a, a foundational part of their social circle or their generation, um, you know, that that's kind of come to the forefront. And I like the fact that TikTok is you know, taking on steps to be more mindful of that and also allowing people to just turn off the feature entirely so you aren't playing this weird guessing game that I feel kind of often comes with this this halfway accessibility. Um, and so just really interested and really happy that TikTok is taking on these steps. And I think that it's just one part of a greater conversation about what inclusivity means on social media. It makes perfect sense that this is coming from a network like TikTok which speaks to a much more inclusive generation. I love it. I think it's such a well-done thing for TikTok that, it, that I don't know, I feel like if you wanted something like this done on one of the other channels, it would take like a lifetime to make it happen. And to Juliana's point, you're 100% right, Kenny. And to Juliana's point, like the accessibility conversation in technology has been happening but for no reason at all, it's kind of been happening behind closed doors as if it only applies to a certain amount of the population. So I think not only just adding these features in, but making sure that people who, you know, maybe aren't visually impaired or maybe there's a lot of different ways that these accessibility features have come into these platforms. And it should be a conversation. Like people should know that sometimes like these things trigger something in someone who's differently abled or whatever that may be, and that other people have different experience. So I think not only creating this feature, but also talking about it and 
and creating the conversation. It should be open and it should be something that every platform is pushing forward, not something that's happening for one portion of the population. Yeah, exactly. It's the fact that you can just, you know, flip it off in your settings versus having to to hunt and strive for it as though it's, you know, meant to be something that you can only get if you're really wanting it, making it just more normal and normalized that, yeah, sometimes it's, there's certain things that people just can't engage with and that's fine. And it, it, like you're saying, Kenny, I think it really just reflects that TikTok understands who their audience is. You know, it's, it's not just an app of people who I think if this were, you know, five years ago, people say, just look away from the screen and, you know, kind of shrug their shoulders, but recognizing that these are the conversations that people are having on the app. And so let's, let's reflect their concerns and their mindset. Well, fascinating stuff. We'll be curious to see this out in market. Amanda, I think it's time to take us home and tell us a little bit about Twitter testing spaces, uh, audio feature on their channel. All right. So earlier this month, I feel like this is a, a, a part B to what Juliana was speaking about earlier. Earlier this month, Twitter announced a new feature where it's testing, um, they're calling it Spaces. They need to get better names for these features, honestly. Um, Twitter is testing Spaces, which more or less is a Clubhouse rival. I don't know if everybody's been on Clubhouse. I Kenny would laugh at me because I've been so into it and such an advocate for getting into it. I think it's such a fascinating but unexpected platform that like no one knew that we needed. Um, and, you know, Twitter's version of this is creating these dedicated spaces for live conversations. Some might say it's like a podcast or a phone call. So in spaces, Twitter's really creating these places for people to have live conversations with one another or with other groups of people, similar to a panel or a podcast or a phone call. Um, but what's really interesting is these feel much less produced and they feel a lot more off the cuff and a lot more organic and authentic. As we know from the recent drama on Clubhouse, sometimes that's an issue. So I'm not surprised that Twitter launched this right when Clubhouse is kind of gaining some speed and, and picking up usage. But what's really interesting is they launched it. They didn't really give us that much information about it. Like with most Twitter features, there were some reverse engineer detectives that started figuring out some of this um, detail and how close it was to Clubhouse. I'm not surprised. I think it feels right for Twitter. The only concern I have is around moderation. I mean, Twitter has a hard time moderating its platform already and its tech space. Clubhouse is also having an issue moderating these live conversations and what they mean. So again, two sides of the coin. It's great to have real, raw, authentic, you know, unplanned conversations. But what happens when those turn dangerous or negative or something not what it's intended for. I'm very curious to see what kind of guardrails and, and policies they're putting around this. Well, Amanda, thank you upfront for that subtle flex that you got invited to Clubhouse. We cannot all be so lucky. I'll but... invite you. I'll send you an <laughs> I'll invite. I'll send you an invite. I got you, Juliana. Don't also... worry. <laughs> thank you. This is why I joined the podcasting world to get those <laughs> exclusive invites. But I also think what's really interesting is there's this kind of... Um, I wouldn't call it a, a, a backlash, but kind of this reverse effect of the fact that with everything typed out and associated with your profile, that you can, you know, essentially go back and find the person behind it, that it is very difficult to be on social media and possibly say something controversial and watch that hang over you for however many eons afterwards. And so this movement to have these disappearing voice-based things so that people can't, you know, just have the screen grab floating underneath your, I don't know, LinkedIn profile uh, is really interesting to me. 
I, I'm intrigued to see how many more of these uh, disappearing conversation uh, capabilities exist in various apps, you know, going forward. You bring up a really great point, Juliana, because I think the reason that Clubhouse, you know, has not gone off the rails is because you do, you are attached to the person who invited you. So if you click my profile, you'll see who invited me. And there's kind of this, you know, she's cool, she's fine. And there's an accountability. Like I wouldn't do something terrible because this person is almost vouching for me to get in. That doesn't exist on Twitter. Anyone can make a Twitter and anyone can kind of create these troll accounts. So it does not attach to you as a human, whereas Clubhouse is very much attached to your actual identity. So I think that does, you know, create these expectations that people will show up in a responsible way. I have no idea if Twitter can create that accountability on that platform and honestly, they're, they are starting with a beta with a small group of people to, I'm sure, figure out how they can do this. I'm not convinced that they can crack it immediately. Just have to wait till the second run out of spaces, much like fleets. You know, I love this conversation and I want to keep it going, but we have an amazing opportunity to have just one more thing. Just one more thing. So I'm going to turn it over to our intrepid producer, Joey Grillo, to tell us about one more thing. Go ahead, Joey. So, all right. Thanks, Kenny. Um, so our one more thing uh, this week is that Spotify has added podcasts to their 2020 wrapped campaign. For the past five years or so, Spotify has released their end-of-year data on the platform for music. Um, and so over the years, you know, they've built a campaign around it, created personalized experiences. And, you know, I don't know about you guys, but I look forward to it every December to find out what music got me through the year. But uh, this year, Spotify added podcasts. Um, they put out their top five um, genres globally for podcasts this year. And um, number one was society and culture. Number two was comedy. Number three, lifestyle and health. Four, arts and entertainment. And number five, education. Um, and so the most popular podcasts, individual shows this year, um, none of these are really a surprise, but number one is the Joe Rogan experience, which um, in September... Uh, Rogan signed an exclusive deal with Spotify, um, and that went into effect this past week. Uh, so now listeners can only hear that show on Spotify. Uh, number two was TED Talk Daily. And number three was The Daily from the New York Times, which, again, no surprise there. Totally makes sense. I probably would have guessed flipping those two um, and that The Daily would be slightly ahead of TED Talks. But um, yeah, that's number two and three. Number four was the Michelle Obama podcast, which um, initially was a Spotify exclusive, but now is available on all networks. And then number five, the uh, very controversial uh, Call Her Daddy, which had some drama earlier this year uh, between the host and Barstool Sports. Um, so, you know, but just curious what you guys think. Curious what was your number one podcast of the year? Other than uh, gray matter, other than gray matter, or the five things, <laughs> or the five things, Amanda, what was yours? Um, I don't know. Mine was the daily. I'm not lying at all. That's absolutely accurate F factual information. That is correct, and it's nothing more embarrassing than that. Sure, sure, sure. Yep. Right. Right. 
Uh, Juliana, do you know what yours was? Yeah, I um, I couldn't handle Michael Barbaro giving me all the truth during the first couple months of quarantine. Uh, mine was last podcast on the left, actually. Great one. Oh, I don't right use on. Spotify podcasts that much. I will be honest. So I didn't really t- put too much stake in mine. But I will not lie. This podcast was on my Spotify list and it's the podcast that I am on. So that's slightly embarrassing, but I don't use Spotify that much. It's basically only for this one. I'm in the same boat as you, uh, Amanda. This show was number two for me behind Winds of Change, which was exclusive to Spotify for the first couple of weeks. So I wanted to listen. No one asked me what mine was, and I'm about to tell you why it's the most embarrassing thing on the planet. Kenny, the floor is yours. My number one podcast for 2020 was Bachelor Party from The Ringer, (gasps) which is a weekly roundup and discussion of all things Bachelor Nation. Oh, wow. Bachelor to Bachelorette (sighs) to Bachelor in Paradise with a slight detour into Vanderpump Rules. Oh, my. Uh, So, uh, admittedly, it was the soundtrack of the car rides that my wife and I would take. Um, The second one was Victory, the podcast, a journey through the story of Entourage. Um, Kenny, are you okay? (laughs) Um, I love all that um, for you. It's the most basic, I mean, second from having the daily on there, I'm about as basic as it gets. Um, I, I was so, going to say, you could tell us that your Spotify got hacked and we would be like, that's, that's totally fair and accurate. But my number one artist for 2020 was Bob Dylan. So I feel like I redeemed myself. That's no Although surprise. My, oh, there you go. Ooh, my, that was, was that the Bob band. Dylan? No, that, well, sort of. But I will tell you, not embarrassingly, my number one song of 2020 was Let's Twist Again from Chubby Checkers, which you can mock the 1961 classic all you want, but it won record of the year in 1962. And it is still an incredibly joyful song that when I was having like a real, you're going to have to beep this, when I was having a real shitty day, I would go out there and just like twist and just have fun. You are not the first person to mention that there was like a, pop song from the 50s as their number one song this year because I think everybody leaned on the old classics to get them through. I won't talk about what mine was, but... Yeah, my my number one band this year, and I'm not embarrassed to admit, my number one band this year was The Killers <laughs> because I just needed, I just like needed nostalgia. <laughs> and smile like you mean it, you know? Going back to 2004, it was a very good year. <laughs> I I don't know what I used to do at the end of the year once we got past Halloween and all the, you know, proverbial fun was had, but Spotify wrapped is now essentially the Christmas gift that I look forward to every, every time. Second, it gets cold outside. I'm like, tell me what I did. Tell me what I listened to. I don't know if this was necessary or not, but either DoorDash or one of the like delivery services is doing like a delivery year in review. Nobody needs to know what they ate and how often they ate it. Oh, I don't So I feel like Spotify still wins, right? Yeah. And last thing I'll say is I was in Drake's top 2% of people. So I think he owes me something for that. (laughs) That's That's so much cooler than mine. Mine was Dispatch. (laughs) I'm so basic. Um, All right. Well, with that, whether you want to give us feedback or ask a question or just tell us what was on your Spotify wrap for 2020 please feel free to email us at podcasts at gray.com. We're really excited to have you here. We have some exciting things coming down 
the line for all of you as we go into the end of 2020 into the beginning of 2021. We hope everyone had a great restful holiday. And as always, we encourage you to stay safe, stay smart, stay social. The Five Things are written and researched by Andrew Petty and Grace McDougall. Produced by Joey Scarillo and Danielle Hunt. Mixed at Gramercy Park Studios. Additional support by John Jenkinson and Christina Hyde. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com.